I want to speak to you for just a few minutes this morning <clears throat> about living life under pressure. I think that's something that every one of us has to deal with, living under certain pressures. If you're a student, you live life under the pressures probably of papers that are due, term papers that are due, grades that need to be achieved, all of these things. All through our life, at various stages of our life, doesn't really matter whether you're young or old or, or just where you fall into those categories, we, we, can, we are confronted with pressures. And uh, we just, uh, we have to deal with those. And so this is something that's been on my mind a bit. I want to just share with you a brief passage here from 2 Kings chapter 4. <clears throat> This is about a widow, a widow who came under the pressure of simply running out of resources. She didn't have anything, and she's down to her last uh, uh, possession at that time, which is a small amount of oil. And after that, it was uh, after that her uh, uh, her future was just totally uncertain. And more than likely, it it was a future that was going to hold a lot of difficulty, a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, because she needed to just simply figure out the basics of life. How do I live? Let me read to you from 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. Let me tell you something, in this day and age, uh, if you owed money and you could not pay the money, creditors were allowed to come and take things from you. And that included your children, if necessary, and these children would live as slaves until such a time in which they felt like the debt was paid and then they would be released. So this is, this is a tough time, a difficult time. So Elisha said to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a small jar of oil. Then he said, Go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all of your neighbors, empty vessels, and do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, and then pour into all of these vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. And it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there's not another one. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God and said, go sell the oil, pay your debt, and you and your sons shall live on the rest. This is a miracle of God. This is a work of God here that, uh, in my estimation, has been repeated on many occasions, even in modern eras. It's not the cruise of oil or anything like that today, <clears throat> but in many different venues. I'm talking about life under pressure. Pressure is good for tires, but not for people. I have a tire on one of my cars that I don't know what's going on with it because it holds pressure very well and then all of a sudden it loses pressure. 
and then it holds pressure, and then two weeks later it loses it. I can't figure it out. The guy that fixes my tires can't figure it out. I don't know what's going on. A diamond. A diamond is basically formed from rocks under great pressure. The pressures of life can cause us to be transformed into something that is incredibly beautiful. We need to be reminded that oaks, these wonderful trees, these oak trees, grow strong because of the contrary winds that constantly come against them. Living under pressure. Sometimes our lives <clears throat> seem to be like a crucible. And a crucible is something that, uh, that things are put into or poured into and usually heated to extraordinary uh, amounts of temperature to change whatever is in, the, in that particular crucible. There have been times in your life, no doubt, that this has happened. It got hot and difficult and pressure continued to build in your life. There are some things, there's some facts that, about being placed in a pressure situation that, uh, and these are these facts here, is the fact that you and I do not get to decide when that's going to happen. We don't get to decide where it's going to happen or even what is going to happen. That's a part of the pressures that we face in life. And it has been well said that that life is 10% about what happens to you and 90% of how do I react to the pressure in my life, to the situation that is in my life. Have you ever noticed that there's very few warning signals of the coming pressure? Sometimes you might get fortunate to see a little bit of a hint of something that, that is out there, but oftentimes pressure comes upon you at times in which you least expected. David experienced this. I believe it's in 2 Samuel chapter 28, where David is coming home with his, uh, with his group of soldiers and everything. Everything has went well. They have conquered different enemies, and they come back to their hometown, and, ver and chapter 28 begins this way, and then it happened. Have you ever noticed that pressure sometimes sort of comes with those, <clears throat> that particular sentence, and then it happened. And you look about and say, how did that get here? And what am I going to do about it? The disciples of Jesus experienced this one time when they were in a little boat. Jesus had told them specifically, get in this little boat and we are going to go off to the other side. Now this was the will and the wisdom of God for them to get in that boat to <clears throat> and to move to the other side of the, of the Sea of Galilee. And they did so. And once in the middle of that Sea of Galilee, the storm came up, a storm, a sudden storm. The wind, the waves, everything was crowding in against that little boat. It was a threatening time to the people in that boat. And guess what? Jesus is sound asleep. He's in the back of the boat, sleeping. These are the pressures. These are the pressures. It would have been easy. It would have been simple for, <clears throat> for those disciples to turn that boat around and run with the wind back into a safety of a shelter. 
but that's not what God wanted. And he took him through the storm. It's always an easy option to run to some kind of shelter, anything to get out of the storm. But oftentimes, God is wanting us to continue on and move forward in the midst of that storm. Life often changes, but God never changes. And that's something you can, you can count on. You can literally, if they, as they say, go to the bank on that one. Life changes, but God never changes. Many people have some kind of a dream. There's people with dreams. And yet when a storm came, the dream was left behind because they ran ahead of the storm. Moses was a prince of Egypt. Moses was highly recognized, had responsibility, was, uh, was a person of prominence. And then through several events, he was cast out of the... Uh, out of the kingdom. He lived the next 40 years of his life in the midst of a desert as a shepherd, running sheep from here to there and everywhere. And then God spoke to him. And God spoke to him to do something and go to Pharaoh. And so Moses was a little hesitant. He was very timid about this, but finally went to Pharaoh. And he stands before Pharaoh 40 years after he left the country. 40 years later, Moses is standing in front of Pharaoh, and he says, I want you to let my people go. You know what Pharaoh said? This is my translation. Get out of here. Get out of here. I'm not paying any attention to you. Leave. Moses left, but he came back. As a matter of fact, he came back about ten times. Until Pharaoh finally let those people go. But what, think of it just for a moment. What if Moses said, man, this guy scares me. I'm getting out of here. He may remember, somebody may remember that there is, a, there is a warrant out for my arrest. I need to get out of here. But that's not what Moses did. Why? Because God told him to go. God told him to go. David and Goliath. David was a young man, a young guy, probably about the age of you guys standing up here went out to see the battle lines. And the battle lines had been drawn up against the Philistines, up against this one guy called, uh, called Goliath. A giant of a man. A huge man. A threatening man. A man that says, I'm going to take on the entire army. And they were frightened. They were holding back. David steps forward. David says, what are we going to do about this, this guy Goliath? What are we going to do about this guy who has threatened God's people? Who has mocked God's people? And of course, the people around him says, what are you? You're just some kid. What, are, what, what do you think you're going to be able to do? And David said these words. Listen to them carefully. He says, as a shepherd, I have killed the lion and I have killed the bear. And I'm ready to take on a giant. Folks, I want you to listen to me carefully on this. Oftentimes in our lives, there are processes that take place. There was a process here for David. And the process was this. I've already killed a lion. I've already killed a bear. I know how to handle this giant. 
And what else was David doing out there in the desert? What else was he doing while he was tending sheep? I can tell you one thing. He had this sling. Life has to be very boring in the desert tending a flock of sheep. And so David's picking up these rocks. He was good. This guy could use a sling. When you're going up against a giant, that giant didn't know it, but David was, David was a crack shot with a sling. And he took out that giant. Paul faced down the mobs at, at Ephesus. And these are the challenges. Paul and Silas, prevented by the Holy Spirit. Paul says, I want to go into Asia. And the Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going there. Paul says, I want to go into Bithynia. The Holy Spirit says, no, you're not going there. What did they do? Did they sit down against the adversity and all of this stuff? And they, they felt like they wanted to do something. They did not stop on the road, sit on the side of the road and say, I'm just sitting here. I'm, I'm just, I'm tired of this. They continued to go. And God gave them witness and direction in their life. It's time for Europe to hear the gospel. And that's where they went. And they moved in that direction. Every challenge I ever face, every crucible event is a, <clears throat> is a call for me to look inside my life. It's a call I need to look inside my life. And when I do that, I discover some things. And one of those things is I discover how little I have to offer, but I also realize how much God has to give and work through my life. God does it. It's God. This widow found out. She had virtually nothing. And yet when God gets involved, there became an abundance of what God wanted to do in their life. I don't have anything, she said. No, you don't. You don't have anything. But I have everything. Go get some vessels. Go get some pots. Go get something that you can collect all this oil in. I'm putting you into the oil business, lady. And God did. And God filled them. She was able to sell this stuff off and spare her kids and provide for her livelihood and all of these things. Every crucible opportunity, listen to me carefully, is an opportunity for God to answer and for God to respond to the needs of your life. And hear me, saints, it's always a step of faith. If you're going to try to get out your pen, your pencil, and your calculator and, and, and figure it all out, you're wasting your time. It is an operation of faith. God works via faith. Our humble church plant is an operation of faith. Do you have all the answers? No, not all that many. None of these things are coming into play. None of these things come into focus. And yet I see people say, well, if we, you know, have got to do this, 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 this. Listen to me. God opens up doors. God opens up opportunity. God moves in front of us. God goes before us. And all I can do today is say, all I can do is second guess what God would do. God opens up those doors. It's an issue of faith. It's an issue of faith and confidence. God says to Gideon, go up against the Midianite army. 
oh, this is great. We found this guy cowering in the back 40 in an old broken wine press. He didn't want the Midianites to see him, so he's crouched down there, hoping that nobody notices him. And God says, look, I want you to take the lead in this. I want you to take this Midianite army out. Gideon needed some convincing, and God did through a number of things. He said, go ahead and lead the army. There's 32,000 people in this army. That ought to do it. We can take it out with this. God is into force reduction. He says, no, that's way too many people. And you know the story. They whittled it down to 300 people. And those 300 people surrounded this, this army. And when God says, light the, light the lamps, blow the horns. The Midianite army went crazy. They thought this was a huge crowd. And they actually started shooting one another. That's because God's in it. God's doing it. God likes to use broken things. Jesus broke loaves and fishes and fed 5,000. Peter was a broken thing. Peter was proud, brash, and boisterous. But when it came really time for the pinch to the, to the pressure point of his life, he denied Jesus three times and ran. But what did Jesus do? He restored the broken vessel. He restored Peter. And then turned around and used Peter on the day of Pentecost to speak to a crowd of thousands that this Jesus that you crucified is the same Jesus that you surrender your life to. Doing it now. I think we need to understand that as a Christian, sometimes we run into headwinds into our lives, don't we? Christians run into headlines. I know there's a lot of people today that watch us as individuals in the church and say, is this really real? Are these people real? And they especially notice that when we run into those headwinds and when we run into those difficult minds, we are not people who cut and run. We're people that stand steady and see the work of God that's all around us. Have you ever heard of what is called the butterfly effect? You've heard of that? It's an interesting thing. I'm going to basically tell you what the butterfly effect is, and I know that some of you are going to kind of grin. It's basically said that the flapping of butterfly wings, say in South America, can affect the weather in Iowa. I thought so. <laughs> now this, by the way, I, this isn't something that somebody just cooked up one night sitting around the fireplace. Theoretical physicists at MIT actually took this project on and they said, yep, this, is, uh, this could happen. In theory, it can happen. Okay, that's good enough for me. In theory, it can happen. But I also think it's a picture of what God does in our lives. Sometimes God uses the smallest things, the smallest, sometimes almost unseen things, the smallest things that we don't even think too much about. And he uses them powerfully in our lives 
to affect our lives and sometimes affect people that we don't even know about. He uses them. Let me share with you a quick story. Several years ago, in Tampa, Florida, a middle school boy was dropped off at a bridge. There's a lot of bridges in Tampa. But by a bridge by his father and said, wait here, I'll be back. The boy waited, but the father never returned. A man kept driving, a man drove by, saw this little boy, drove by the next morning and saw this little boy, and then God spoke to him. God spoke to him and said, pick up the little boy and take him home. So the guy turned around and asked the little boy, what are you doing here? He says, I'm waiting for my father to return, and he's been gone for almost a day. He says, would you like to come home with me? So the boy jumped in the car, took him home. This man was a deacon in a church. He took the boy home, and he wound up raising this boy. Helped him through high school and everything. But one of the neat things about this little boy was the fact that he had a real heart for little kids. Especially kids like himself that had been just sort of abandoned just sort of forgotten. Kids from maybe dysfunctional kind of homes had a heart, just a, a huge heart for those kind of kids. And when he got out of high school and everything, and he, um, he felt like he needed to do something for kids that lived on the street. And lo and behold, if he didn't go to New York City, he went to the Bedford-Stuyvesant section of New York City, one of the worst sections of the entire city. Lots of kids. Lots of kids that just simply roam the streets. Lots of kids that don't have an anchor of a home or parents that love them. He started Sunday school for these kids. He didn't have a building, so he started it on the street. Everything else happens on the street, so... He started a street Sunday school. That's where we get the phrase sidewalk Sunday school, by the way. This is the guy that invented it. He found an old building that asked the guy if he could use it on Saturdays so he could have a Saturday Sunday school. And the guy allowed him to use it. Today, there are literally thousands of kids. This is not an exaggeration. Thousands of children that attend not only this Sunday school, but Sunday schools in cities literally all over the world. This is a guy that started what is called Metro World Child. His name is Bill Wilson. Bill's a friend of mine. I've had Bill speak in a couple churches that I pastored. Bill is a great guy, but he looks kind of rough around the edges. And that's because he deals with people that are pretty rough around the edges. But he's leading, leading kids to Christ. The butterfly effect. A church deacon that heard God say, pick up this kid. A deacon that obeyed what God had told him. A kid in Tampa, Florida that influenced kids now all over the world. You see, the butterfly effect of what he's doing 
And I tell you what, folks, it's not just Bill, it's for us too. What are we doing? What can we do that can affect lives of people, families all over the world? Think of it, the flapping of butterfly wings is a small act. But this is what God does through people. Zechariah chapter 4 verse 10 simply says, Do not despise the days of small beginnings. You know, I'm guessing, uh, how old is this church now, 28, 29 years old? Well, I don't think you had this many on your first service 29 years ago. You had a handful of people meeting in a, in a pink community building. Pink. Pink community building. The butterfly effect. The butterfly effect. Now we see a church with many people in it. And a church that touches other people. It's that effect. Uh, Donnelly, would you come back, please? Twelve disciples met with Jesus. <clears throat> they followed him for three years. Twelve disciples turned into 120 disciples in an upper room. And from that upper room, 5,000 people saved on the first day. And more on the next day, and more and more. Ladies and gentlemen, you will find Christian people on every corner of the globe today. Why? Because it started with 12 people that made a difference. I just want you to come to these communion places today, realizing that God can use your life in a profound kind of a way. He can use your life in a way that may surprise you. You may look at it and say, well, what difference does this make? And yet he will make a difference. Okay? Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for your word. This word is eternal. It never changes. The meanings of the words and so many things are still fit for 2017. Father, help us today to consider what you will do through us if we will simply say, yes, I'll do that. Father, help us to be the kind of people that do not run from God or look for the safe shelter places, but are willing to step forward and say, I will do that, and I know God will help me. God will provide. And so we thank you today. I pray that you will touch every person's heart today. I pray that as we come to be served at the communion place, that you'll be speaking into people's lives. I pray that you will that you will encourage. I pray that you will strengthen. I pray that, Lord, that you will implant within us a new vision, a new hope. Father, let your name be blessed. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.